This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week, we've got a fight on our hands. It's episode 487 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. I know I was late with the show again this week. I'm trying to figure this out. Man, I know I'm usually pretty consistent. I'm going to try and get the shows out on Mondays on the regular from now on, but I thank you guys for your patience on that. It's going to be worth the wait, though, because I have some of the cast and the creative team behind Mortal Kombat 1, which is now available from Warner Brothers Games and NetherRealm. Got a chance to talk to Ed Boon, which is always amazing when you can talk to the father, basically, of Mortal Kombat, right? Also got to talk to Yuri Lowenthal, who's the voice of Smoke, Kelly Hu, who's the voice of the of the May in the game as well. Also got to talk to Tiago Gomez, who is the art director at NetherRealm Studios, and also got a chance to talk to Dominic Cianciolo, easy for me to say, story director at NetherRealm as well about this amazing game that's already getting a lot of great feedback from fans, and it is available now wherever games are sold if you want to get your copy. Also going to give you my review, finally, of Elemental from, from Disney and Pixar. Finally got a chance to see that one now that it's on Disney+, Plus. so I thought I'd throw out my review of that as well. And, yeah, there's a lot of trailers that came out this past week, so I want to dive into as many of those as possible in Nerd News. Some other interesting stuff as well. If you think you know who cancels the most shows, you might not, because I'll tell you about it coming up a little bit later on. But right now, let's dive into some Mortal Kombat with the cast members and the creative team next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Kari Walgren, the voice of Haruko in FLCO, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Entering a whole new realm, Mortal Kombat 1 is now available from Warner Brothers Games and NetherRealm. It's been a long wait. Hopefully it is worth it if you've already played the game, if you're thinking about it. I got a chance to sit down at Comic-Con with some members of the voice cast and the creative team as well. As a matter of fact, I want to start off by talking to Yuri Lowenthal, who was the voice of Smoke in the game, and Tiago Gomez, who is the art director at NetherRealm Studios. And the first question that was asked in the roundtable was for Yuri, asking him what sets Mortal Kombat apart from other things that he's voiced. The cool thing about Mortal Kombat is, I mean, for me anyway, is that, you know, it's always been a fighting game, and I was never really aware, I just thought it was like cool, weird stuff in a fighting game. And for this iteration of it, they've really done work on the story and the world, which makes it more interesting for an actor to take it. So it's been uh, it's been cool actually having something to grab onto besides punch, kick, explode heads. You know, like I mean, that's it. So that's been. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's awesome. <laughs> but that's uh, that, that was something that, that really uh, that, that I loved about it. The next question was for Tiago, and they, somebody asked him how he approached the designs for the environments and if he had a favorite in the game. I think, you know, for this iteration of the game, it was really important for us to show the environments as Liu Kang would see them, right? We're, we're essentially, with the reboot, this is Liu Kang's world. So we really wanted to reflect that in the environment. Right? So you'll see a lot brighter stages, you'll see more colorful backgrounds, and that's a direct reflection of this is how Liu Kang remembers these things. Um, and as far as my favorite one, we've seen hints of it, but there's, I, I don't want to give away too okay. much from, the, there, you've seen hints of it in the trailer. I'll leave it at that. The next question for Tiago was a pretty good one. Somebody asked if 
doing this reboot for the franchise help provide opportunities to do something new and different creatively? Here's what he had to say. Starting from a blank slate is, is always a really exciting prospect as an artist, right? And what's really cool is when we're able to revisit older stages and kind of repaint them in a new light and explain and explore different areas that we haven't really been able to in the past. And with these new consoles, they're so much more powerful, so we can put so much more detail into the backgrounds and, and put like little bits of storytelling into the background that we normally wouldn't have been able to. So it's been really rewarding to put all of that stuff into the backgrounds and see people pick them out and see people find something, right? My question was for Yuri, and I asked him how the character of Smoke and the characters he's played like this have evolved over the years. Yuri, this is a character that you've kind of voiced in the past. How do you feel like this character has evolved up to this point as you take one of his Um You're right. I've, I've, this is not my first ninja uh, that, I've, <laughs> that I've voiced. Um, but like, like with any character I do, I mean, you, you guys know, if you followed my work at all, I'm not like the chameleon of voiceover. Like most of my characters sound about the same. Um, and what really differentiates characters for me is the project it has its own guidelines. The writing is different. You know, the character is different, and that in and of itself changes. You know, what what I end up doing with it. Um, so it was it was fun for me to come to this fresh uh, on on smoke and to. You know, naturally, I'm gonna. You know, some of my tendencies are gonna come in, and it's hopefully one of the reasons that they cast me. Um, but it was fun to be able to explore it from from ground zero and to talk to Dominic about uh, all of the, you know, what what they wanted story-wise and character-wise. My question for Tiago was, does it feel more like a new world than an actual reboot? And I thought his answer was pretty interesting. For you, we've heard the term reboot from Connor after this a little bit, but. It, Absolutely, right? It's more of a reimagining, right? We still visit a lot of, of the similar, you know, places that we visited in the past, but we really wanted them to feel very different, and we wanted them to, we really wanted the backgrounds and the characters this game to feel very different than they have in the past, right? And that is a direct, you know, consequence of what happened at the end of MK11, right? Liu Kang kills Kronika, becomes Fire God Liu Kang, and remakes the entire universe. So we really wanted to reflect that in the art direction. Next question was simple, but a good one. And somebody asked what the biggest gameplay difference was in this new reboot. The big, the big kind of gameplay change for us this game are, are the cameo characters, right? And it's been really awesome to to see people's reactions to Summer Games Fest and the the, the you know the tech beta that went out, um, and to see people use cameos how we kind of envisioned it, right? And and use them to to do you know extend combos and do things like that, and to do things that even like our our QA testers and and that we internally don't do, right? So being able to see that creativity and that player expression in that way has been really awesome and I think it will really kind of pay off in the long term because people will be more engaged with the game. They feel like they have more creative control over what their characters are doing. The next question Yuri Lowenthal was kind of morbid but funny at the same time. Somebody asked him what his favorite death sound was. I, I like I like gurgly, like throat blood filled death. You're like choking on your own blood. I like I'm making drowning sounds uh, just because some, some I don't know why it comes. It's like you know you, you learn to make a make a sound where it sounds like water's in your throat. And most people always they always save like fire death for for the, the last uh, because it it's harder to your throat. But I always love that. I don't know, people are like, whoa, how'd you do that? I'm like, I don't know, man. <laughs> Maybe I was set on fire in a previous life. I don't know. That was very convincing. Thank you. Yeah, that was very good. And the final question for Tiago was, what was more challenging, rebooting the characters or rebooting the story? This will be interesting. There's challenges to both of them, right? Because I think 
on the character side, these are iconic characters. These are characters that people have grown up with, and they have their own image of like what this character looks like. So when you reboot a character and you and you kind of reimagine it, you always have to make sure that like, hey, we're not losing the essence of the character, right? This is still Scorpion. This is still Sub Zero. This is still Smoke. Um, so things like that are, are really important. And then on the story side, it's very much like we want to make sure that we are conveying the emotions and we're conveying all of the, the different things that happen in the story in a, in a respectful, in a, you know, engaging and a, a, a way that keeps people entertained, right? Um, so different challenges, but definitely still difficult. <laughs> Next up was the lovely and talented Kelly Hu, who plays Yi Mei in the game. And then we also have Dominic Ciancioolo, who is the story director of NetherRealm Studios. First question was for Kelly. How does this new character different differ from some of the other Mortal Kombat characters that she's voiced in the past? Well, I think the last time I was a bug or yeah. something, yeah. right? Was it Devorah, yeah. some yes. sort of bug lady? Um, and um, I never really got to hear her until many, many years later because I don't play video games. And I was surprised to find out how much um, like electronic you know, things that they did to my voice. Uh, to alter her, right? So I think this one I'm far more recognizable as myself uh, in my with my own voice. My question for Kelly, because she's been part of so many amazing franchises over the years, is does she like to play established characters that she can kind of put her own spin on? You've been a part of so many amazing franchises over the years. Do you like playing newer characters that are part of already known franchises where maybe you can put your own take on them? I do, I do. I mean, especially coming into like X-Men, for instance. Uh, I think we made changes to the look of the character and made her completely different from the comic book. And then after that, the comic book started following what we did in X2, right, as, as Lady Deathstrike. So it's really an honor for me to be able to do that and sort of make that change that, that happens in the comic, you know, and and, um, and I feel like um, every time I, I get to work on a, a big, you know, franchise sort of project like this, well, first of all, I always have to ask my friends who are all the geeks and game players and comic book geeks, right? And I'm like, who is this? Like, what am I doing? And what is this relationship? Um, but then that's why also I have, you know, Dominic and, you know, his direction to explain everything. Because for me, it's like entering a, a whole new universe and learning about all these different characters it's it's crazy how much there is out there yeah it's it's always fun you know to I got the best job in the world I mean Meryl Streep can kiss my butt like seriously she might have the best roles in the world the best acting in the world but I have to have the most fun Seriously. Next up, I get a chance to ask Dominic if there was a particular character that they really wanted to focus on for this particular reboot. Dominic, for you, obviously you've got such an amazing cast of characters yeah. here. As you enter into this kind of new world, were there any characters that you all looked at and said, we want to focus on this character a little bit more, that character a little bit more than we had to yeah, I mean, the, the construction of the roster, which, of course, we can't fully discuss today, uh, was, was was crafted very carefully. You know, that process of building that roster is not just driven from the story. You know, Ed has a kind of a vision of what he wants, and then, you know, he talks to the designers. You know, who do they want to bring back? Who are characters that, you know, maybe they, they got some new ideas for gameplay and that kind of thing they want to see? Uh, and then, you know, sort of, sort of pulls, you know, a lot of the key stakeholders in the studio as to, as to who they want to see come back. And then, you know, and obviously story considerations influence that. But at the end of the day, you know, all that comes together, and then I have to then take that and say, okay, now that this is sort of our finalized group, how am I going to try to make all the story make sense with all of these people? How do they fit into into that narrative? Yeah, it's it's people are very passionate. They're they're, they're you know they're pitched battles that go on like, no, this person has to be in, no, it has to be this person. I like it the same way that fans argue on Reddit about you know who should be in and who should be out, right? It's just as passionate inside the studio. And finally, another question for Dominic, and I thought this was one that definitely had to be asked. And, you know, what were the challenges in doing this reboot? 
it is that balance between your familiarity and novelty. Like that's that to me is one of Ed's great gifts is that he really knows how to balance that. So that it's familiar enough so people don't feel left behind. It's novel enough they feel like they're getting something new. And you know, in this reboot, it was trying to find that level. You know, we talked about you know, is this going to be as big of a reboot as as Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica? Is it going to be a lighter reboot like the Kelvin time in Star Trek? And sort of where do we fit on that continuum? And then sort of once we sort of set the vision for you know, where Ed wanted to see it sort of fall there, like, okay, what can we make these changes uh, to the to the origin stories, to the narrative, that sort of fit within that and make it work? And it was, it was a real big chance, a lot of fun. Talking to the voice actors and the creative team behind Mortal Kombat 1, which is now available from NetherRealm and Warner Brothers Games. You can't talk about Mortal Kombat without talking to Mr. Mortal Kombat himself. Ed Boon had such a great opportunity to chat with him at the roundtables at Comic-Con this year. The first question for him was, you know, why did they decide to do this reboot, and who better to ask? The main reason we did it, you know, if you remember, we did a Mortal Kombat 1 through 11, right, basically, and each one we introduced another bad character who was more powerful than the last one, right? And so at some point when you hit 11 times to do that, you go, maybe we should reset things, right? And so, so that was kind of like the premise of we wanted a really fresh take onto the story. And so that's basically this thing. This game literally starts with a big bang. And and then every, every, all these characters that you know are reintroduced in a brand new story that it's familiar, but it's completely different. You know, I, I, we've said it a number of times, Scorpion Sub-Zero always wanted to kill each other, the ninjas, now they're brothers, right? And so how does that evolve into the story? So imagine that with all the characters, and that's what this game is. The next question is one that we yet to bring up here in these interviews, and that is that were they able to kind of take advantages of the advancements technology and the next-gen consoles for this game and maybe do some stuff they couldn't do before? You know, whenever we get like new technology, the first thing we think of is how can we tell a, 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 a cooler, engaging story, right? Because if you think of the story in more, the first Mortal Kombat game, it was just text, basically. We just described the characters. Now it's a full-blown movie pretty much right we have scripts we have actors we have sets we have all that stuff so technology tends to really lend us a more sophisticated presentation for telling a story as well as things like online gameplay and rankings and stuff like that which which has been around a while but but it always lets us mainly tell a more sophisticated story there was a lot of talk in the Mortal Kombat press room about the roster for the game, which at the time they couldn't reveal because they hadn't revealed any of it yet. I mean, keep in mind, this was well, this was July. They couldn't leak out any information to us. But one of the questions to Ed, actually the question that I asked him was, you know, what were the conversations like when it comes to conducting the roster for this one? We told one of our earlier interviews, there was kind of a spirited discussion about the roster and who would be included and who wouldn't be included. With this just enormous cast of characters you built over the years, what are those discussions like? Do you have, like, here's the deal breakers and then you go from there, or is, like, everything on the table? Um, I think there are certain characters that we probably won't ever leave out. You know, uh, Mortal Kombat 3 didn't have Scorpion originally, and we learned our lesson. Right? <laughs> so, like, so, Scorpion, Sub-Zero, I'd say, you know, Luke Kang, Raiden, you know, you're probably going to see them uh, coming, and um, so that's kind of like a staple group there. And then the other 80 characters that we have, something like that. You know, we, we try to keep them rotating in, so it's a it's a it's a cool moment when someone returns, and so we're kind of playing with that too. Give somebody a rest, a couple games later, bring them back, and so that's kind of. When you're talking to Ed Boone, the guy that's going to have all the answers about Mortal Kombat, you have to ask questions like this. Somebody actually asked, is there an end in sight for this franchise? Could it all be coming to an end at some point? If you would have asked me this 31 years ago, you know, <laughs> is there an end to this? I'd probably say, well, we're not going to be around in 30 years. You know, I'd say something like that. So, uh, if, if, if it ends, it'll probably be when I'm not around anymore. You know, so I, 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 I could see Mortal Kombat. To me, Mortal Kombat is kind of like, you know, DC, Marvel. You know, it's like this universe where you can make, you know, spinoffs and all that stuff like that. So um, I hope it doesn't end soon. And finally, I wanted to get this one in as well because I thought it was an important clarification from the guy that would know. Somebody asked if this is a future story or is it more like the beginning of a new timeline? The way 
I look at it right now, it, it, it is the beginning of a new time. So, so it is something that will continue. It is something that will, um, but we're not going to go back to the Mortal Kombat 11 one. Basically, we're saying we're just drawing a hard line at MK11 and saying, okay, let's start over. That's the whole reason why we're calling it Mortal Kombat. If you just look at it, so much time and talent went into the creation of this game, and when you do reboot, now keep in mind, they haven't rebooted this a ton. This is the first reboot in like 30 years, so you got to give them credit for that much, for sure. And this is a franchise that's grown so much over the years in Mortal Kombat. Live action movies, animated movies, comics, so many other things, and it's become a phenomenon, for lack of a better way of putting it, and to be able to sustain it for this long, and there's been good games and bad games, but be able, being able to sustain it for this long and finally reach this point where they feel like they can reboot things and do something fresh, I think is really great. And really the only complaint I've seen so far online is, is people hating the voice of Megan Fox as Natara. <laughs> That's kind of it so far. And then there's some other nitpicky stuff, but it looks like Mortal Kombat 1, the reboot, is a hit. I can't wait a chance. Wait to get a chance to play it myself. Get my hands on it and see. And, you know, they've got to have it for Nintendo Switch, so I'll be able to play it at some point. Looking forward to that. Thank you so much to the amazing voice talent and creative team behind Mortal Kombat from Warner Brothers Games and NetherRealm for joining me at Comic Con around the round table to chat a little bit about the game. Up next, hey, it's first review. Going to talk about Elemental, which is now in Disney Plus and Digital HD from Disney and Pixar. I'll give you my spoiler-filled review of that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's Journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's Journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey, this is voice actor Roger Craig Smith, and you guys are listening, you lucky people, to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. And we're back. This week, I'm definitely feeling in my element. Elemental is now on Disney+, Plus, also available on Digital HD from Pixar and Walt Disney Pictures. And I'm going to give you my spoiler-filled review of this thing. And I did get a free copy of this for review, by the way. All opinions here are my own. And I got to say, I've been really tough. On Pixar lately and rightfully so I think I think it's been a while since they've had anything good well guess what this one is good this one was funny it had a lot of heart and emotion to it and it just had a full range the things you kind of came to expect from Pixar over the years and it seemed like they'd kind of lost their way until recently I think this is the best Pixar movie in the last 10 years I'm just gonna go out there and say it Right now, I'm not. I'm gonna end the suspense right there. They just had everything going for them because not only did they have a relatable story, it was a good family story about you know family pressures and things like that, and and how you know seeing different families and different perspectives, and also it was a wonderful love story, quite frankly. And I think that every there was somebody in this movie that almost anybody could relate to, and I think that that is. Incredible, but I gotta just say the two lead characters, Ember and Wade, just their stories alone were just incredible separately, with Ember and her family having to leave, you know, their their homeland to come to Element City and try and make a life for themselves and her dad building things up and the pressure for her to have to take over the family business 
and her father's legacy and how much it meant to her family and how that weighed on her without her even realizing that it weighed on her. It was such a cool story. And then you've got Wade that comes in from a very loving and supportive family, except for his dad. That was a little bit of an issue that they talked about throughout the movie and one of the reasons that they were actually kind of able to connect, even though Ember had a very good relationship with her dad. But Wade sort of made her see, you know, you, you got to say these, you got to, you know, tell people how you feel while you still have the chance sort of thing. And, if you know, being a fi- in the family business wasn't her dream. She needed to say something to her dad. So that was part of it, too, and that I really, really enjoyed. But just seeing Wade's loving and supportive family, maybe a little bit overly loving and overly supportive at times was pretty funny. And, you know, how that would always cry and everything. I really enjoyed that part of it. I thought that was extremely funny that was one of the more funny parts of the movie for me when they were playing that game where you have to make somebody cry and it took you know like 10 seconds for the mom to cry when she was playing I thought that was pretty funny but the the way that they sort of came together Ember and Wade and there was an there was an undercurrent in this movie of you know the elements don't mix you kept hearing that elements don't mix so you know fire can't be with water you know, water can't be with earth, things like that. So you, you heard all of these things, and that was like kind of a theme throughout throughout the movie, not just for these two characters, but it was that elements don't mix. So they all live together, but they don't necessarily mix. And I thought that that was interesting, but it wasn't like an in-your-face type thing. And the way that it progressively showed you throughout the movie that that wasn't the case, and Wade was kind of like the champion for that right he was the ultra supportive guy the ultra you can do anything you want to guy and it was just so refreshing to see his positivity come through on the screen and not only how it affected ember but how it infected this entire affected this entire movie and infected i'll go infected because you know this was something that was contagious throughout the movie i loved wade more and more as the movie went on because of that just unwavering positivity even when ember just tries to go scorched earth on him, pun intended, for a good reason. Even when she basically tried to push him away as hard as she could push somebody away, dude still came back. Now, granted, he was in love, and when you're in love, you do that, right? You absolutely 100% do that. But at the same time, he could have easily just walked away from the situation and go back to his loving and supporting environment, and he kind of almost did, right? He almost ventured out on his own but then when he saw that she was in danger he came back for her because that's what you do when you're in love right so he was going to he was going to take off but didn't and ultimately I don't think he actually would have and even if he did I don't think he would have been gone very long but it's just to to the fact that he went through as much as he went through and she was going through some stuff too let's act like let's not act like Ember wasn't going through a lot as well because the the pressure for her was building so, so much throughout the movie. And even when, you know, Wade was sort of trying starting to change her a little bit, you know, she was able to start controlling her temper more and things like that. And she wasn't getting as angry and she found joy with someone else instead of just being, let's, let's face it, she was kind of like, you know, she lived for her work almost. She lived for her family. She lived for her work. She never really lived for herself and she didn't even realize it. That was the thing, and that this is how deep this movie runs. If you haven't seen it yet, these are the kind of deep things that happens in this movie, and that's what's incredible to me that they were able to pull this off in this movie as well. So it just runs so, so deep like that, and then you just sort of see, start to see that sort of slowly fade away from her, and she just sees the effect that Wade has on other people too, not just her, but other people, and that and just goes to show you that not only can unwavering positivity, you know, really change things, it's it's an infectious thing and you start, sort of start to see it filter through some of the other characters in the movie as well. And of course, there's a crisis to deal with, right? There's a potential flood brewing. Nobody knows how to fix it. It looks like they did fix it and then they didn't sort of thing. And there's a whole picking up and rebuilding aspect to this movie again as well. But then you, you sort of see how, you know, sometimes all you got to do is say something, right? Especially when it came to Ember and her dad, which I did love their relationship. But at the same time, it it also goes to show you that, and I'm a parent, and I'm guilty of this, certainly, is that you don't always see what your kids are going through or how they really feel, right? And, And I've certainly been guilty of that as a parent. And it makes you feel awful, by the way, 
when you go through something like that. And that's what happens in this movie. But Ember kind of realizes that, you know, if she had just told her dad, if she had just said something, that he would have supported her through and through. Like when he said, Ember, you were the dream. And at one point, one of these scenes, I, you know, I started getting choked up a little bit because I was like, I realized that as a viewer, I realized that very early on in the movie, especially in the very early going when the, when she's first born and, and how the father's caring for her and things like that. You sort, you know, in that moment, you know, especially if you're a parent, you know, this stuff. So I knew that as a viewer, but Ember didn't know that. And that's sad as a parent. It's sad as a child. It's sad across the board. But at the same time, then there's that coming together moment that comes from that when he tells her that. And maybe she did know. But sometimes you just need that reassurance, right? And you're thinking, James, geez, you're really going off on a lot of tangents talking about this thing. Well, guess what? There's a lot to talk about with this movie. And it's and it's for good reason. These are so many of the layers that come from this movie. And that's what makes it so great and the writing especially this is one of the again one of the better more well-written Pixar movies in a long long time can't go as far as saying ever but it's one of the more built well-written ones in a long long time so certainly 100% well not 100% of the credit but a lot of the credit goes to John Hoberg and Katie LaCale and Brenda Shush and just so many, and the people that were behind the story as well, Peter Sohn, John Hoberg again, and the, the people I just mentioned deserve a huge amount of credit for this. And Peter Sohn as the director as well deserves a, a huge amount of credit. So this wasn't one of those Pixar movies where you had to go, oh, well, it was so beautifully shot. Oh, the character designs were great. Oh, and the world they created was so amazing. And by the way, it was all of those things too. But the story, so much of the story just jumped out and grabbed me and it was so incredible and so refreshing to see a movie like this from Pixar finally where they focused on the characters they focused on this love story but brought other parts of the story into it as well and just made it a well-rounded story it doesn't it didn't have this singular focus I mean yes they did focus on the love story but it wasn't completely 100% singularly focused on one common theme. It had a well-rounded story, good characters around the main characters, and a very steady plot. And it certainly kept you guessing at times, too. And it certainly had characters that you were going to root for. Just bravo across the board to Pixar finally coming back and showing us, yeah, we could still make great movies because it had been a while for me, and I'm so glad that this was one of them. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Elemental from Disney and Pixar, which is now available on Disney Plus Digital HD. And I think it's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD pretty soon as well, if it hasn't come out this week already. But up next, there's a lot of trailers to talk about in nerd news. Some very interesting stuff as well. I'll get to it next. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer C.S. Paquette, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. October is for tricks and treats and apparently streaming now. It's time for nerd news. There's a whole bunch of stuff coming out in October, and I'll get to that in a second, but there's a lot of trailers that dropped this past week. I do want to talk about the full trailer for Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Talked about the teaser quickly last week. Now we have a much broader picture of what we're getting here from this full trailer. And yes, Aquaman is the king of Atlantis in this particular thing. He is He's a dad, which is... That brings a little bit of the humor into it. I love the <laughs> I love the scenes between Aquaman and his dad. Where he's talking about being a parent. That was that was a really good quick scene in the trailer. But we also see the brothers get back together here. So they're bringing Orm back in the picture and kind of turning him a little bit. Yeah, he's going to be a good guy now. It's almost very much like a Thor Loki type thing, right? Where they bring Loki in and Loki Loki sort of turns to the to the side of good. Now it makes me wonder if they're going to kill off Orm in this movie because that just seems like the logical step if they follow the Thor formula. Although I know Loki didn't actually die, but you get what I'm saying. So, I actually do think it's a good thing that they're bringing the brothers back together and Orm's kind of going to be this reformed this reformed character in this movie, especially if this is the signal that they're pushing Mera out of the story to get Amber Heard out of this movie or cut her out as much as they possibly can bringing Orm in to kind of be able to do that 
is a really smart way to go. Now, again, you can't necessarily read the tea leaves and know that this whole cra craziness was going to happen with Amber Heard, right? So I'm not saying that this was the plan all along, or maybe it was the plan all along, and they did know about it, and that's kind of why they did this. So it'll be very interesting to see how it all plays out. But just the, flat, the fact that we're getting Black Manta full-on villain mode in this movie, the fact that he's got the Black Trident and how they're going to explain that away in the Seven Kingdoms, and this is kind of the trident, trident of the Lost Kingdom, I guess, is the way they're going to kind of go with this. And then just it's an Aquaman movie, right? So you're going to get all kinds of incredible sea creatures. It looks like James Wan's obsession with the trench is not going to go for naught. We were supposed to get a whole movie about the trench. Obviously not going to be getting that now, but he's going to get the trench into this one, as, as you could see in this trailer. And, you know, this one, you, you get to see just these massive, sea creatures and you get to see Aquaman as a king that not everybody loves and you knew that him being half human and half Atlantean that that was just gonna happen so this is a really good way to bring this first trailer in and this is in teasing all-out war not a huge surprise right but the fact that Black Magic can just cause so much chaos and I love that about this character how they're making him more powerful in this movie and the fact that he's causing all kinds of chaos in the movie as well, I think, is really great. And then you've got Nicole Kidman back as Mama Bear, right? And it looks like she's going to be playing a bigger part in this movie as Atlanta. And I'm just curious to see, you know, like, do they kill her off maybe? That's certainly a possibility, something they could do in this movie. You certainly see all-out destruction and Manta getting the upper hand many, many times in this trailer and then you get to see Aquaman do his classic you know I'm gonna put my trident in front of me and the echo bubbles are gonna go on I'm gonna call to the sea creatures and I think it's cool that they kind of didn't you know take that away from this movie and they sort of lean into it and make it cool I'm just here for the brothers honestly I think the brothers together are gonna be really cool in this movie I think we're gonna get the same Jason Momoa that we would normally get and that we got and the last Aquaman movie. So yeah, this one's going to be a good one. I know that probably not as many people are going to see it. I actually have a bet with my wife as to what the box office is going to be. I say it's going to be less than the first Aquaman movie. She disagrees. So we'll see how that works out. But Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom are going to be coming out in theaters from Warner Brothers Pictures in D.C. on December the 20th. I also wanted to talk about Trolls Band Together, which is coming out from DreamWorks Universal on November the 17th. That also in theaters. And this is another one where Baby Branch, you know, they, you remember the boy band days that they were talking about? And I think it was the first movie they talked about his days in the boy band, but he didn't want to talk about it. Now, now, now you know why, because they didn't work out so well. You know, they sort of, you know, disbanded, for lack of a better way of putting it. They went their separate ways. And now it looks like maybe they're getting the band back together. So Branch's brother shows up and one of their other brothers is captured so naturally of course you know the perfect family harmony is going to be what breaks them out and that's sort of why they get the band back together and then poppy who you know she just has been looking for family this entire time and she had found family now she actually finds actual family or at least it seems like actual family i'm not quite ready to say that that's her family yet i feel like this could be one of those things where you know like the 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 wool gets pulled over your eyes, right? And she says she's family and she's really not. And there's some nefarious stuff going on here. So I'm not quite ready to declare this character family just yet. Just saying, just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm a little cautious, especially for Poppy. I don't want to, want to see her get her heart broken again. So it just, again, this looks like a fun movie. It almost looks like they partially did this to get a new NSYNC song. Honestly, the first new NSYNC song in 20 years, I get it. Some people are super excited about just that, and you'll go see it for just that reason. Well, let's face it. If you've got kids, these Trolls movies are just, it's full of songs and, and amazing colors and some some good humor for kids. You know, not so much for adults, but most of your kids, they try to work some adult humor in there that, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But let's face it, if you're, if you're going to see this, it's, it's probably because your kids want to see it or you just love the musical element of it. And the fact that they've been able to make a few of these now and make them good says a lot. So Trolls Band Together, that's going to be coming out on November the 17th from DreamWorks and Universal. Now we kind of get into the October releases. And I want to talk about Frasier, okay? 
because Frasier is a show that is near and dear to my heart. I'm not going to and and you know that this is a show that I've loved for many many years. So when they decided to reboot it, I was happy, cautiously optimistic, hadn't seen a trailer yet. Now we've seen a trailer and we get to see exactly kind of what we expected whereas, you know, Freddy's taken his own path in life. Frasier's back in Boston. He's maybe trying to reinvent himself or or find a place to be in his life. As well, he's got some new friends. He's back in the bar, not Cheers. Looks like a different bar. We'll hopefully we'll get more of a story on that once we actually see the first couple of episodes on Paramount Plus, which will be happening on October the twelfth. But you get to see him, and he seems happy. That's the thing that I was. That's the thing I always wondered when Frasier went off the air, and you know he went to take that big leap to go fight for that woman, Charlotte. You know, does Frasier end up happy? And he seems happy, but unfulfilled at the same time. It's like he's trying to find his happiness and spend more time with his son, which is something he's always wanted to do in the first place, but his son not reciprocating that. His son has a girlfriend. Freddie has a girlfriend that he hadn't, she, he hadn't told him about, and it's, you know, there's obviously some, it's not necessarily friction. Like, you could tell that something's not quite right, but there's not, like, a ton of friction there. It just seems like Freddie doesn't have a super high opinion of his dad. Why that is, I, I hope we'll find that out as things go on. And I think this one's going to be get, have some serious moments when it comes to stuff like that. But it does look like the humor is there. Now, I have to tell myself, and I'm going to tell you guys this too, and this is just for me. This is how I've decided to go about this. It's not going to be the same show because it can't be the same show. It can't possibly be the same show that it was. You have to evolve, right? So what is this show and what would Frasier the character and these characters look like in 2023? That's what I'm kind of hoping that they're going to do with this. I'm not expecting the same show. What I'm expecting is clever writing, good acting, and for it to be funny because that was the hallmark of Frasier in its original iteration. It had some good storytelling, good character acting, well-written, and it was funny. So that's what made it work the first time. Hopefully they find a way to make that work again this second time when Frasier hits Paramount Plus, that is October the 12th. Now, this one is for the spooky season, the fall of the House of Usher, which is going to be coming to Netflix also on October the 12th. This coming from the mind of Mike Flanagan, who, of course, you know, did House on Haunted Hill, and they also had, you know, the, the couple of shows that he's done for Netflix, also Midnight Mass and Midnight Club, I believe, was the other one that he did for Netflix. And, you know, in the horror world, you know, Mike Flanagan's about as good as it gets. And this is actually, you know, loosely based around the works of Edgar Allan Poe. And it's this Usher family, and they're, they're a massive family. They have this big pharmaceutical company. They're seen as evil. They probably are evil. It certainly looks that way in this trailer. But then it looks like their past starts to catch up with them because there's there's this mysterious woman who's played by Carla Guardino, and I screw up her name every time, but you know who I'm talking about because she's awesome. And she's she's a woman from their past. We don't quite know, you know, her, her whole story yet because why would we from a trailer? That would be stupid. And she sort of starts, you know, killing them one by one. So the, it's, that's why it's the fall of the House of Usher. Now, why is she doing this and how is she doing this? And is there a little bit more to her than meets the eye? It certainly seems like there is, right? Just based on the trailer, you certainly see that she's got something going on for her. But you just see this, the richness and the arrogance of this family and how they all kind of hate each other too. And they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily upset when one of them dies and you don't know who's going to be the next one. But at the same time, it doesn't seem like anybody's really paying attention to that until towards the end of the trailer. And you start to see people starting to get antsy and people starting to pay attention. And this just looks creepy. I love the little winks and nods that we already saw in the trailer to the works of Edgar Allan Poe. I don't think that that's something that's going to be shoved down our throat while we're watching this because I think Mike Flanagan is smarter than that. So I don't think he'll do that. I just think it'll be subtle winks and nods here and there because that's kind of what he does. And just the way that they score his shows and movies and just add that extra layer of creepy factor to it, I I just think it's that's very smart. And if he has a hand in that at all, then bravo to him because it is freaking well done. So yeah, Fall of the House of Usher that's going to be coming to Netflix on October the 12th. I'll be there for it. I'm sure that you will be as well because this one looks creepy and cool at the same time. Billy the Kid's coming back for a second season. That's going to be on October the 15th on MGM+. And we talked about All Out War coming to Aquaman. Well, All Out War is coming to the world of Billy the Kid as well. And then you've got Billy, 
versus Jesse. And you knew it was going to come down to it at some point if you watched the first season. This was just going to kind of happen. And again, there's war breaking out in the town where Billy is, and he has to pick sides. And his side is going against Jesse Evans. And now he is, by the way, he is Billy the Kid now. There's no William Bonnie anymore. No, 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 no. We're talking about Billy the Kid in this one. And what you get to see is a lot of fighting, a lot of gunslinging. You get to see a lot of really heavy stuff. It basically seems like Billy's given up everything for for this war, whatever this would, you know, the, the war that he's kind of thrust himself into to be a part of. It looks like he's given everything up for it. He's walking away from everybody for, you know, vengeance, revenge, whatever you want to call it. It seems like he's given up everything for it. So now is this going to work out for him? If it, well, it's loosely based on history, so you kind of know where this is going in some respects, right? But certainly not in all respects, of course, because this, this is only the first trailer. But at the same time, you know, we saw some some romance in this show before, but now it seems like he's that's going to take a little bit of a backseat anyway, right, for the Santa Fe ring. It seems like that's what the focus is for Billy right now, and this Lincoln County war is all out. And it's it's gonna be, and Billy is going to be right in the middle of it. And I love the fact that right there in the in the at the end of the trailer, you get to see Billy and Jesse face off. They're squaring off and it looks like, you know, they're about to draw down, but then it sort of cuts away so you don't know what goes on there. I kind of feel like this is one of those things where they both draw but they don't fire and then they look at each other like, you know, hey, you didn't fire either sort of thing because I think there's still, you know, obviously there's still a brotherhood there a little bit between the two of them. But how deep does it run? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where this one goes. Billy the Kid coming back to MGM Plus. That is October the 15th. I also wanted to talk about Kite Man Hell Yeah, which is the Harley Quinn spinoff, which is going to be coming to Max in 2024. We don't have a release date for that yet. But this is the spinoff for Kite Man. And he you know, just talked about how he's always wanted to be a supervillain. And it looks like he's got this, I want to say gang of supervillains, but use that term very, very loosely. <laughs> if you saw this trailer... You know what I'm talking about. But this is Kite Man being Kite Man and doing Kite Man things and going off on his own, you know, trying to get some shenanigans happening at Noonan's and see if he can become what he's always wanted to become, and that's a supervillain. And what you get to see is the same craziness that you get in the Harley Quinn series, the same, you know, raunchiness that you get in the Harley Quinn series as well. This is going to be the perfect spinoff. If you already love Harley Quinn, you obviously fell in love with the character of Kite Man because he wouldn't be getting a spinoff if you didn't, because I know I certainly did. And the whole thing between him and Ivy in the beginnings of the series I thought was really fun. And now, of course, we know how that story has sort of evolved as well. But I've actually been waiting for this. I was kind of hoping this wouldn't get lost in development hell. And this is something that we'd be able to see at some point. And it looks like it is. Kite Man, hell yeah. Going to be coming to Max on excuse me in 2024. But speaking of Max, some interesting stuff came out about them recently that I can't say I'm totally surprised about. So there was a study done recently by the Variety Intelligence Platform, this of course from Variety, and Luminant, and they actually did something called The Show Must Go Off, and it takes a look at, you know, who cancels the most and, and things like that, whether it be broadcast streamers and stuff like that. And this study looked at shows between cancellations between 2020 and August 8th of this year. And there was a chart that they did and everything, and there was some really good data if you want to go check it out. But apparently the cancellation rate for streamers was 12.2% on average. That was, you know, put everybody together. That's actually not much higher than what broadcast and linear TV would be, and that's 10.8%. So streamers are a little higher. But what I was kind of surprised with was that Max, of course, formerly HBO Max, because you got to factor that time in too, they were the most brutal when it came to canceling shows. And that was at 26.9%. Now, granted, and the article points this out, they purged a lot of stuff in the merger, so that's probably got something to do with it. But at the same time, that's a lot, because then you look at Netflix, and I know that you've probably said Netflix cancels everything. They never give anything a chance. Look at Cowboy Bebop. Look at, you know, The the Order, and I complained about that one, actually. Then I get a couple seasons, and... And other shows that, you know, should have gotten maybe a little bit more. Well, they only cancel stuff at 10.2%. Uh, Apple TV was the lowest at 4.9%. And that's partially because they don't have as much, I don't think, 
as some of these others, but they've, you know, certainly canceled some things, but just not a ton. And, you know, there, there weren't a whole lot of numbers as far as some of the other streaming services and things like that. And I'm not going to run them all down. But at the same time, I think that that's super interesting that Max is the one that cancels the most because even with the merger, just doesn't, I wouldn't have pegged that. If you would have asked me, I probably would have said Netflix and I would have been super wrong. And that's super unfair because Max is more than double that. But then I look at stuff that, you know, has, has ended recently or only got a single season, some stuff that never got off the ground. I don't know if you count that or not, but it just certainly seems like they don't have a lot of stuff that lasts very long. And you can't count the stuff that's technically HBO either, right? I don't, at least I don't think you can anyway, because that shouldn't factor into this whole thing just because they air on both. But again, this is another example of, you know, not a lot of goodwill for Warner Brothers going on right now. I sort of trashed them last week, and I think rightfully so. And I think they've been trashed up and down since Zaslav took over in the Warner Brothers Discovery merger. I got to tell you right now, this is a company that better find some good faith than they better find it fast. I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know if they're holding out all their hopes on the reboot of the DC Studios and James Gunn and everything to sort of save the day. And it's not like Warner Brothers has been putting out garbage. They've been putting out some good stuff. The problem is, is that even before the strike happened, there's just there was just bad story after bad story after bad story, and they weren't getting a lot of good headlines. Even if they tried to create them themselves, they weren't able to get it. So this just is a company that just needs... They better figure it out and figure it out fast because this could go downhill in a hurry because they're on what? I think this is their third merger and I want to say six years. Now, don't quote me on that. I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a lot. That's a lot of, you know, buying out and merging and stuff like that 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 didn't last very long. It's it's definitely two in the last five years. I can tell you that much right now. It has to be two in the last five years for sure. But it's it's just this is a company that's been... Not necessarily in a huge spiral, but in spiral mode for a while now and managed to screw up a, a couple of good things that they had going for them. And I just hope they can write the ship soon because I love Warner Brothers. I love a lot of the properties that they have. And I just hope that they find a way to figure it out because right now it's just not happening. Speaking of something that's not happening, and that is the Gears of War creator will not be involved in the new movie, apparently. He's not going to be consulting with this thing, and I think that that's kind of a mistake, honestly. You, you, you have to have Cliff Blazinski involved in this thing if you really want to make this work. And here's the deal. I, I know that everybody's excited about Netflix casting, Dave Bautista. If, I don't know if that's, is that official now? I don't know if that's official official or not, but when Blazinski spoke to Coming Soon recently in an interview, he has not even been approached to consult on the thing, but he would be open to it. And he does love the idea of Batista playing Marcus Fenix. He also said that in the interview. But, you know, why wouldn't he be up for that? And I think, you know, Batista would be perfect for that role. But again, I was just talking about Netflix and how they're not canceling things as much, blah, 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 blah. But this is the kind of stuff that they do that drives me nuts. Like, if there's one person that knows about the property that you're adapting, if it's an adaptation, it's the person that created it. Right, So even if you want to do something different, if you want to get the characters right, forget the story for a second. The story's important, I get that. But let's forget the story for a second. You want to get these characters right? Talk to the creator. Consult with the creator. You don't even have to get their advice on casting if you don't want to, okay? That's fine. If you want to cast who you want to cast, that's fine. But at least in getting the essence of the characters that you're supposed to be adapting, maybe you should go to the creator and ask. And not just be like, ah, I played the game, I'm good. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. You should go to the creator, the person that created these characters in the first place, and they will tell you everything you need to know about the character, and then does that inform your casting? Maybe. Does that inform your story? It sure does. So I just think it's really stupid and short-sighted to not at least have the creator of something be involved in the thing that you're trying to adapt, especially when you're talking about video game properties, which now there's been, you know... More hits than misses lately when it comes to adapting video game stuff. But when it comes to Netflix adapting stuff, there's been at least a 50-50 hit to miss rate as far as I'm concerned. And I know they did a good job with one piece that's debatable depending on who you talk to. I think they did a good job. But at the same time, this is one where I, you better be real careful. Because if you screw this up once, you're not going to get another bite at the apple. So, And this is a, this is a franchise 
Gears of War that could be huge for Netflix. And the fact that they were able to actually land this thing is pretty big on its own. But if you get this right, this is something that could be several movies and spinoffs and all kinds of stuff. And this is something that could have a long, long lasting effect. So if they can get this right, then there's big money in their future. If they can't, well, then it's just going to be another notch on the belt of Netflix screw-ups, of which there have been many. There's, they've had a lot of hits. They've done well. But at the same time, I think we can probably do a whole series of shows on times where Netflix really dropped the ball when it looked like they had an easy layup. This is something that if you're a Buffy fan, you should be super, super excited about. Apparently, Audible Originals is going to have a new Buffy the Vampire Slayer story. It's going to be called Slayers. A Buffyverse story that's promising too, and this is a quote from the chief content officer of, of, of Audible, that is a quote, a fresh dynamic take on a cult classic that takes listeners on a fun and nostalgic ride. Before I get into more of this, first of all, more of this kind of stuff, please. Scripted podcasting is still very much underserved as far as licensed properties go. There's a lot of great original content, and I hope you're consuming the hell out of it because it deserves to be consumed. But as far as licensed properties go, there should be more of this. And I'm stunned that there isn't more of this. D- DC's already had a couple of really good ones. I'm glad that the people that are that are behind Buffy the Vampire Slayer are getting the notice. Now, this is actually written by one of the original cast members, Amber Benson, and writer Chris Golden helped out as well. And then Benson Golden and Casey Weiland are directing this thing. And this is going to... Some of the original stars are going to come back come back for this too to to bring their voices to it you got james marsters chris mccarpenter anthony head juliet landau and mccloff caulfield and a whole bunch of others there's going to be some new characters that are going to be introduced into this thing as well and it's actually going to pick up 10 years after the events of the final episode of buffy the vampire slayer and this is going to see Spike. He's gone deep undercover in L.A. He's trying to convince the forces of darkness that he's back to his evil ways. And then he uncovers a compromised 16-year-old girl named Indira, who's played by Layla DeLoren De Hayes. And Spike finds himself on a baby slayer sitting duty again. So I'm not going to read this whole description or anything like that, but they're, they're going to have a panel at New York Comic Con on Friday, October the 13th as well at 1.30 on the main stage, so you can go check that out as well. And this is one of those, like, strike-proof type things because it's audio drama, so it's a different... So this doesn't kind of fall under the layers of the strike. So, yeah, this is a panel that's actually going to happen, so you don't have to worry about the strike affecting this in any way unless there's an audio drama strike that I don't know about that's pending. I know there's something with video game companies that might happen, but as far as audio, I think that we're good. And it just tells you how excited these cast members are to do this because of how many of them actually came back to be a part of it. If you wanted to move on and let this not be the thing that you're known for in your career, you wouldn't come back for this to do this again. So I think that the fact that this is coming out at all says a lot. I don't think we have an official release date yet for this thing, at least not that I've seen any any of the stuff that's come out already. And I think that, well, actually, yeah, we do right here, October the 12th. Man, there's a lot of stuff coming on October the 12th. This is an Audible Originals story by the way so if you you know if you have audible you're already good if you don't you know that might be something you might want to look into to be able to do this thing but again this is just a great way to continue your story with with original cast members that already love these characters and you could do this as an audio drama and you don't have to worry about you know casting and people well did they look the right age or anything like that you could just go on just kind of like they did with the Babylon 5 movie recently that revival that they did at Warner Brothers and they did it animated they brought back as many of the original cast members as they could to be able to do this thing and you know their age was whatever it was that they put on animation you didn't have to worry about the actors being a little old a little bit too old for the roles and where you place the story or anything like that you could do this 10 years after the events of the finale no matter how old your cast members are now because of the fact that you're doing this as an audio drama. And if, you've, and if you're not a scripted podcast fan, or you haven't tried any of these, you're like, ah, I don't know, how do you really capture it, blah, blah, blah. Do it. Just do yourself a favor. Do this once. It didn't. You don't even have to start with this one, but start with something like, all right, let me check something out and see how good this stuff really is. I wouldn't be talking about scripted audio podcasts, fiction stuff, if I didn't think that they were good and haven't listened to a ton of them 
that are good. You've heard me talk about good ones from the from the Realm Family Network that I'm a part of. And it's not just because I'm a part of the family. It's because they're freaking good and you need to be listening to them. This one is one that you better have on your radar if you're a Buffy fan. Even if you're not, this is something that could be really fun to check out. I can't wait to check out the Slayer, a Buffyverse story coming to Audible Originals on October the 12th. Hopefully you get a trailer at New York Comic Con as well. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the cast members and the wonderful creative team behind Mortal Kombat for joining me at Comic-Con this past year. I was happy to be able to finally share those interviews with you. I want to save it for the right time. Seemed like the right time to do it now. Make sure you follow along on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. Also at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. I've been quiet on socials lately. I keep promising you I'm going to do better. And I will. Trust me. I'm trying to trying to find the time, trying to get some things worked out to bring some exciting stuff for you guys there. And everything you can find online at downandnerdypodcast.com. And remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.